You are listening to the Sermons Podcast of First Baptist Church, Mount Washington. I invite you to turn to Jeremiah chapter 37. We're going to look at three chapters this morning, 37, 38, and 39. These chapters are a part of a a larger section here of Jeremiah, I think that stretches from maybe chapter 34 all the way to chapter 45. And these chapters focus primarily on resisting the Word of God. You'll see many examples of that as you read it. Warren Wearsby asked the question, what caused the nation of Judah's slow decay and final collapse And he answers, historians would point to their unwise politics. But behind their unwise political decisions was a more insidious reason. And here it is. The leaders really didn't believe the Word of God. They looked around for allies instead of looking up for divine assistance. Instead of repenting and turning to God, they hardened their hearts against the Word and trusted their own wisdom. I think that's a great summary of these chapters and uh, before us. And so let's look at these verses and we'll see it perhaps more clearly. Jeremiah 37, I'm just going to read parts of each of these three chapters. Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, made king in the land of Judah, reigned instead of Coniah, the son of Jehoiakim. But neither he nor his servants nor the people of the land listened to the words of the Lord that he spoke through Jeremiah the prophet. King Zedekiah sent Jehuchal, the son of Shelemiah, and Zephaniah the priest, the son of Messiah, to Jeremiah the prophet, saying, Please pray for us to the Lord our God. Now Jeremiah was still going in and out among the people, for he had not yet been put in prison. The army of Pharaoh had come out of Egypt And when the Chaldeans who were besieging Jerusalem heard news about them, they withdrew from Jerusalem. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Thus shall you say to the king of Judah, who sent you to me to inquire of me. Behold, Pharaoh's army that came to help you is about to return to Egypt to its own land. And the Chaldeans shall come back and fight against this city. They shall capture it and burn it with fire. Thus says the Lord, do not deceive yourselves, saying, The Chaldeans will surely go away from us, for they will not go away. For even if you should defeat the whole army of Chaldeans who are fighting against you, and there remained of them only wounded men, every man in his tent, they would rise up and burn this city with fire. Verse 15 And the officials were enraged at Jeremiah, and they beat him and imprisoned him in the house of Jonathan the secretary, for it had been made a prison. When Jeremiah had come to the dungeon cells and remained there many days, King Zedekiah sent for him and received him. And the king questioned him secretly in his house, and he said, Is there any word from the Lord? Jeremiah said, There is. Then he said, You shall be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon. Jeremiah also said to King Zedekiah, What wrong have I done to you or to your servants or to this people that you've put me in prison? 
Where are your prophets who prophesied to you, saying, The king of Babylon will not come against you and against this land? Now look at chapter 38, beginning in verse 4. And the officials said to the king, Let this man, speaking of Jeremiah, be put to death. For he is weakening the hands of the soldiers who are left in this city and the hands of all the people by speaking such words to them. For this man is not seeking the welfare of this people, but their harm. King Zedekiah said, Behold, he is in your hands, for the king can do nothing against you. So they took Jeremiah and cast him into the cistern of Malchiah, the king's son, which was in the court of the guard, letting Jeremiah down by ropes. When Ebed-Melech the Ethiopian, a eunuch who was in the king's house, heard that they had put Jeremiah into the cistern, the king was sitting in the Benjamin gate. Ebed-Melech went from the king's house, and he said to the king, My lord, the king, these men have done evil, and all that they did to Jeremiah the prophet by casting him into the cistern, and he will die there of hunger, for there's no bread left in the city. Then the king commanded Ebed-Melech the Ethiopian, Take 30 men with you from here and lift Jeremiah the prophet out of the cistern before he dies. Verse 14, King Zedekiah sent for Jeremiah the prophet and received him at the third entrance of the temple of the Lord. And the king said to Jeremiah, I will ask you a question. Hide nothing from me. Verse 17, Jeremiah said to Zedekiah, Thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, the God of Israel, if you will surrender to the officials of the king of Babylon, then your life shall be spared. And this city shall not be burned with fire, and you and your house shall live. But if you do not surrender to the officials of the king of Babylon, then this city shall be given into the hand of the Chaldeans. And they shall burn it with fire, and you shall not escape from their hand. King Zedekiah said to Jeremiah, I am afraid of the Judeans who have deserted to the Chaldeans, lest I be handed over to them and they deal cruelly with me. Chapter 39, verse 1. In the ninth year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, in the tenth month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and his army came against Jerusalem and besieged it. Verse 4. When Zedekiah, king of Judah, and all the soldiers saw them, they fled, going out of the city at night by way of the king's garden, through the gate between the two walls, and they went toward the Arabah. But the army of the Chaldeans pursued them and overtook Zedekiah in the plains of Jericho. And when they had taken him, they brought him to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, Riblah, in the land of Hamath, and he passed sentence on him. And the king of Babylon slaughtered the sons of Zedekiah of Riblah before his eyes. And the king of Babylon slaughtered all the nobles of Judah. And he put out the eyes of Zedekiah and bound him in chains to take him to Babylon. Verse 11, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, gave command concerning Jeremiah through Nebuchadnezzar. Zeradan, the captain of the guard, saying, Take him, look after him well, and do him no harm, but deal with him as he tells you. And then the end, verse 15. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah while he was shut up in the court of the guard. Go and say to Ebed-Melech the Ethiopian, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will fulfill my words against this city for harm and not for good, and they shall be accomplished before you on that day, but I will deliver you on that day declares the Lord, and you shall not be given into the hand of the men of whom you're afraid, 
For I will surely save you, and you shall not fall by the sword, but you shall have your life as a prize of war because you have put your trust in me, declares the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, please help us now as we look to your word and, and Lord, long to hear words of life that might encourage and convict and ultimately transform us to be more like your son, Jesus. And Lord, I pray you'd use me today as your servant. I, I pray that you would increase and I would decrease and your word would go forth. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're obviously closing in on the end of Jeremiah's prophecy here, and, and, and you might say the end is rushing towards us in, in this story because chapter 39 that we just read is, is the destruction of Jerusalem. This has been prophesied. It's been coming. Uh, it's been a theme of, of the book. And, and, and right before us, we have this section that is once again highlighting the reason behind God's judgment. And that is that Judah would not listen to the word of the Lord. There are two ways of resisting God's word. That one can be outward, overt, blatant. But the other can be more subtle and indirect and perhaps devious. In chapter 36, if you've uh, read the story, we're taken back to King Jehoiakim, and there is an example there of outward resistance, the blatant kind, uh, because there's a, a scroll that is containing God's Word. It is read before the king as a warning, and as it's being read, he takes out his knife, and he cuts off a piece of it and throws it into the fire. He was urged by those in his presence, do not do this. This is the word of the Lord. But he did it anyway. And then what happens next is even worse because if he simply grabbed the whole scroll and threw it in there, we might chalk it up to just an emotional moment, you know, just a reaction, a visceral reaction to it. But no, he insisted that, that the scroll continue to be read in his presence. And as it is read paragraph by paragraph, he takes out his knife and he cuts another piece of it off and throws it into the fire over and over again. It was a, an overt, a blatant kind of rejection of God's word. But there are other ways to resist God's Word that aren't so blatant. And it, it, when I was thinking about this, it kind of reminded me of the little boy who was disciplined by his mother, and he was set down in the corner. And when she inquired about him, he said something like this. He says, I want you to know I may be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside, he told her. There's that kind of resistance. Um in a sort of devious, subtle kinds of way. And that's what we find here in King Zedekiah, beginning in chapter 37. So the destruction of Jerusalem is now imminent, and, and, and yet we read these words in Jeremiah 37, 1 through 2 again. Um, Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, made king in the land of Judah, he reigned instead of Coniah, the son of Jehoiakim. But here's the indictment. But neither he nor his servants, nor the people of the land listened to the words of the Lord that he spoke through Jeremiah the prophet. So we have a new king from chapter 36 to 37, but it's the same old problem. It's this royal deafness 
if you will. Both kings, hearing the words of Jeremiah loud and clear, both of them resisting those words, though one of them resisting very overtly and one of them resisting much more subtly. Dale Ralph Davis does a great job of of tracing out Zedekiah's resistance and his short commentary on the book. And I'm going to be using his outline this morning. First, he notes this, that you can resist the Word of God and yet have keen interest in it. When you look at Zedekiah, it wasn't as though he was a secularist uh, or, or uh, irreligious like Jehoiakim. You, you don't see that kind of, of thing. In, instead, chapter 37 begins, the Chaldeans, that is the Babylonians, they're bearing down on Jerusalem. They're, but, but they're surprisingly, they're deterred briefly to fight in Egypt. So they pull away from Jerusalem. And they head uh, south to Egypt. And verse 3, Zedekiah reaches out and he asks Jeremiah to pray. Pray for us, he says. You know, thinking that this might be the Lord's hand in sparing them in this judgment. Zedekiah is is no secularist in this. Jeremiah basically says to him, uh, this isn't going to work. Verses 7 and 8, the old Pharaoh's army that came to help you is about to return to Egypt to its own land, and the Chaldeans shall come back and fight against this city. They shall capture it and burn it with fire. In other words, he tells them, don't be deceived by this little momentary uh, 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 where they're heading to Egypt. The word of God has not changed, he tells King Zedekiah. Jeremiah is thrown into prison because he continued to preach it. It's interesting, chapter 37, down in verse 17, Zedekiah Zedekiah again reaches out to Jeremiah, and and he says, is there any word from the Lord? This is very different than somebody who's tearing it up piece by piece and throwing it into the fire. He's wanting to know, is there there another word from the Lord? And Jeremiah's in a difficult position here. He's back under arrest again, in a dungeon, in fact, according to verse 16. And Though he appeals to Zedekiah for release, he remains faithful to the word. And so when he's asked, is there any word from the Lord? Chapter 37, verse 17, the second part. Jeremiah says, there is. And then he said, you shall be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon. He tells him the same message. Has it changed? Now, in chapter 38... Verses 14 through 28, there's a similar exchange, just for illustration at this point, because Jeremiah has, has now been thrown into a cistern for preaching. We'll talk more about that in a moment. But as he's brought out, Zedekiah sins for him again. And essentially, it's the same question. Like, is there any other word from the Lord? Chapter 38, verse 14, the king said to Jeremiah, I will ask you a question. Hide nothing from me. Jeremiah responds to him, verse 15, if I tell you, will you not surely put me to death? And if I give you counsel, you will not listen to me. You see the problem here. Though Zedekiah wants to know what Yahweh's word is, he has absolutely no intention of hearing it and obeying it. He's always curious about it. I mean, it's multiple times here. He's always fascinated. He always wants to know. He's constantly calling on Jeremiah, pray for us. Is there a word from the Lord? Tell me another word from the Lord. He's always referencing, yet it makes no difference in his life. You can be very interested in the word of God and yet resist it. 
Zedekiah is the kind of man who perhaps goes to church, but he never does anything about it. We think of New Testament examples of this. I thought of Herod in the New Testament who put John the Baptist in the prison, but then he would bring John out occasionally to hear him preach. Mark 6.20 says, Herod feared John knowing that he was a righteous and holy man and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed and yet he heard him gladly. He heard him gladly, but he heard him with no intention whatsoever of responding. The Apostle Paul spoke of another kind of man in Acts 24, Felix the governor who brought Paul out to preach as well from prison, Acts 24, 25. As he, Paul reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment. Felix was alarmed and he said, go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I'll summon you. Like Herod and Phoenix, uh, Felix, Zedekiah loved to dabble in religion. He, he loved to dabble. He loved to hear what the preacher had to say, but he had no intention of repenting and turning and following the Lord. And it speaks of something, the contradiction, doesn't it? The contradiction that is in the the sinner, a sinful man. He can resist God's word and yet at the same time be interested in it so that the word of God becomes a mere formality for him. I fear that perhaps many are gathered in churches this morning who come with that same kind of mentality. You, 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 you trifle with the word. You poke at it. You hear it. You, you, perhaps you mock it in your own heart. And I'm glad you come, and I hope that you keep coming to hear the word. But let me warn you, do not mistake such pretense for faith. God, God will not be mocked. And you will not fool God in the judgment fascination with God's Word is not the same thing as faith. You you can be fascinated and not follow. You can be interested and not invested. Because at the end of the day, God calls every man, woman, boy, and girl to repent, to deny himself, herself, take up that cross and follow Jesus Christ. And there is nothing pretentious about that. Hezekiah is a warning to us. He teaches us, secondly, that you can resist the word though you have reason to believe it. This is just a brief point before we leave chapter 37, uh, verse 19, where Jeremiah says to Zedekiah, Where are your prophets who prophesied to you, saying, The king of Babylon will not come against you and against this land? That's kind of a subtle dig. I think at at Jeremiah, you remember the the prophet Hananiah back in chapter 28, the prophet who who took Jeremiah's yoke around his neck and smashed it, and he said, hey, this is all going to go away in two years. You don't need to worry about any of these things. Jeremiah's making a big deal. And it's as if Jeremiah is saying to him, what happened to that guy, Zedekiah? You remember? He's six feet under now. Where are your prophets? who prophesied to you, saying the king of Babylon will not come against you. It's as if he's saying, have you looked out the window, Zedekiah? You know he's out there, right? 
He's on, he's on the doorstep. The evidence is right in front of your face that these words are true. The Babylonians are here just as God said they would be, and yet you're still refusing to believe. Is there another word from the Lord? It, it's a reminder to us that you can resist the word of God even though you have reason to believe it. It shows the hardness of our hearts. John 10 is a, another New Testament illustration of this. It says, So the Jews gathered around him, that is Jesus, and they said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Christ, tell us plainly. Which is, is, is insane. Jesus answered them, I told you. And you do not believe the works that I do in my Father's Name, bear witness about me, but you do not believe. And John, at this point, Jesus has been proclaiming his identity to them over and over again. He has told them, and he has backed up his words by all kinds of miracles, unbelievable miracles, but that wasn't enough. They said, show us one more sign. That voice writes this, to ask for evidence or for plain speech is a good procedure if evidence or plain speech is lacking. But if these are present, then to ask for more evidence or for more plainer speech is only an attempt to avoid responsibility and shift the blame. And you see, that's exactly right. In King Zedekiah's day, the evidence is right before him, and yet it didn't affect him too much. I'm afraid, again, that's true for many people today. It's not a lack of evidence that is the problem. But, but your rebellion and refusal to surrender to God and His Word, it, it, it's not an issue of the intellect. It's an issue of your will, an unwillingness to believe, where you will do literally anything or believe anything in order to keep from believing the truth that is right before you. And yet God's word is relentless, isn't it? It just won't go away. It just keeps coming. Sometimes, third, you can resist the word by submitting to fear. Chapter 38, some men come complaining to Zedekiah about Jeremiah's preaching. And they are done with him. They want, him to, they want to put him to death. So chapter 38, verse 5, Zedekiah says to them, Behold, he is in your hands. Notice this statement. For the king can do nothing against you. Here's the king of Judah saying to a group of men, I just don't have any power to oppose you guys. He's, he's so weak. We mentioned that conversation that took place later in chapter 38 when Zedekiah comes to him again asking for another word from the Lord. Jeremiah answered him. This is verses 17 and 18 of chapter 38. He, he, thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, the God of Israel, if you will surrender to the officials of the king of Babylon, then your life shall be spared. And this city shall not be burned with fire, and you and your house shall live. But if you do not surrender to the officials of the king of Babylon, then this city shall be given into the hand of the Chaldeans, and they shall burn it with fire, and you shall not escape from their hand. And look at how Zedekiah responded to that word, verse 19. He said to Jeremiah, I'm afraid of the Judeans who have deserted to 
to the Chaldeans, lest I be handed over to them and they deal cruelly with me. Zedekiah is more afraid of his own people than he is Babylon. Derek Kidner, in his little commentaries, right, he, he says, he writes simply, Oh my, what kind of concern is that? And he's right, isn't he? If you read Lamentations chapter 4, you see some of the commentary of what's going on in this specific moment that they're under siege. Um, Babylon has walled off, kept any kind of supplies, anything from happening uh, to, to, for the people inside the city. Children are wandering the, the streets begging for food. Some of the mothers have killed their own babies and cooked them because they're so hungry. That was the situation. And Zedekiah's response is, I'm just really afraid for what they're going to do to me. Startling. It, it, it shows us, you can resist God's word, not in a hostile way. You can in a hostile way like, like Jehoiakim, but, but you can also resist him in a fear because of fear. God is being merciful to Zedekiah through Jeremiah. He is offering him a way of salvation, a way of life. He tells him exactly what to do to spare his life, to spare the city. But he's afraid to do it. He was afraid of his own people. He was afraid of the Babylonians. He was afraid of what would happen to him. He was afraid of everything and everyone except God. Mark that. John 12, New Testament illustration, says that nevertheless, many of the, uh, even of the authorities believed in Jesus, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue, for they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. We're driven by fear. And this indecision was costly. And we read it a moment ago in chapter 39 when the Babylonians overtook Jerusalem. They caught up to Zedekiah and his family who were fleeing. They slaughtered his sons right before his eyes. And then they scooped out his eyes. And they put him in fetters and hauled him off to Babylon. Davis writes this, what was the last thing that Zedekiah ever saw? He saw his own son slaughtered in their blood because he had dithered and played around with the word of God and forever worried and feared about what people would think or might do. Jesus never mocks or chides us for having fear. But he does remind us to prioritize our fears. Luke chapter 12, he said, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. You know, all other fears are secondary to a fear of God. But so many times, we don't think about that. That fear should lead us to submit our lives to Him in faith and to follow His Word. Thankfully, we do see examples of that 
Fourth, though many resist the word, there will be a faithful remnant. I mentioned that uh, earlier Jeremiah was thrown into a cistern for preaching God's word. Chapter 38, verse 6, they took Jeremiah, cast him into the cistern of Malchiah, the king's son, which was in the court of the guard, letting Jeremiah down by ropes. And there was no water in the cistern, but only mud, and Jeremiah sank in the mud. You understand, they threw him down there because they didn't want him to die in the fall. This was very cruel. Christopher Wright comments here, Mud is too polite a word for the stinking, slimy, infested ooze that would have settled at the bottom of of an urban cistern. Even if he might not have sunk completely underneath, it would have been impossible to lie down and sleep. Without food and water, he faced the horror of a slow death in the darkness by starvation, dehydration, or potentially even drowning. But isn't it wonderful to see that God did not forsake Jeremiah? God's deliverance came from an unexpected source. There's an Ethiopian man, chapter 38, verse 10, named Ebed-Melech, who goes to the king and asks him to allow Jeremiah to take him out of the cistern. Verse 10, then the king commanded Ebed-Melech the Ethiopian, take 30 men with you from here and lift Jeremiah the prophet out of the cistern before he dies. Now, you might think that taking 30 men, it seems like quite a few guys to lift one man out of a cistern. It would have taken a few. But the reason he had to take 30 men is because um, the opposition that would have been there. Chapter 39, verse 17 confirms that Ebed-Melech was afraid of the people, and the king knew that he would likely receive opposition from other men to get Jeremiah out of there. So the 30 men was because there there could be a fight over this. Think about the contrast here between Zedekiah and Ebed-Melech because they're polar opposites. You have one who is afraid to believe and one who believes in spite of his fear. And he goes and gets Jeremiah out of the cistern. So here's a man whose name means slave of the king. He's a foreigner. He's likely a slave in the king's household. And he is taking his stand in faith despite his fears of coming to rescue Jeremiah. Well, I can only imagine what that meant to Jeremiah. Can you imagine that? What kind of friendship came of that? Uh, one of the commentators called him the Old Testament equivalent to Onesiphorus. You remember him and the apostle uh, Paul, 2 Timothy chapter 1, when he was in prison and Onesiphorus came and refreshed Paul in his chains. It's just like our faithful God, isn't it? You know, The Lord himself still thinks of you if you find yourself in a cistern. And sometimes that's that's all that you have is that knowledge that the Lord thinks of you and has not forgotten you. But then there's some times where he sends someone else to stand with you. Praise the Lord for that. Amen. Well, Ebed-Melech comes back up in chapter 39. And it's placed there for theological impact because this promise Jeremiah made to him had already taken place before the siege, but we're hearing about it afterward, I think, for, because of the theology in it. It's, it's the final verses of chapter 39. Verse 15, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah while he was shut up 
in the court of the guard, go and say to Ebed-Melech the Ethiopian, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I will fulfill my words against this city for harm and not for good, and they shall be accomplished before you on that day, but I will deliver you on that day, declares the Lord, and you shall not be given into the hand of the men of whom you are afraid, for I will surely save you. And you shall not fall by the sword, but you shall have your life as a prize of war because you've put your trust in me, declares the Lord. Notice that. God will save him. And it's not because that he saved Jeremiah. What does verse 18 says? It says that because you have put your trust in me, declares the Lord. So here is this faithful believer, a foreign slave, who is literally doing what Israelite leaders were refusing to do. Hearing the Word, believing the Word, obeying the Word. Chapter 39 is not a happy part of the book of Jeremiah because Jeremiah, this is literally the fall. This is, the city is literally burning down. And here at the end of that chapter, all we can see are two believers, Jeremiah and some guy named Ebed-Melech, standing there like two brands that have been plucked from a fire, saved by God. And though many had resisted the word, it, it tells us here there's, there will always be a faithful remnant. The churches may have all kinds of problems. They can be more or less faithful. They can, some throw out the gospel and aren't even true churches anymore. But, but the promise of the word is that there will always be a church on the earth to worship God according to His will. And then the question today as we think about all of this is, will we be among that faithful church? Will we? Will we listen and, to the word and not resist the word of God? And for some, perhaps that's a question of salvation for you this morning. And some of you, perhaps, I, I can't see in your heart, but I know from the testimony of Scripture and others that some of you are perhaps faking interest in spiritual things. Just like Zedekiah. Is there a word from the Lord? Pray for me. All this kind of talk. With no desire to repent and believe. And, and I, I say this in love, and, and, but, but I want to encourage you to, as the Scripture would encourage you, quit waffling and believe. Quit being driven by your fears. And put your faith in Christ alone for salvation, because that is the only way anyone can be saved. For others of you, perhaps this is a question of sanctification, and, and that is to ask, are you currently seeking to hear and follow the Lord? Is this the posture, the mentality of your life? Or, or are you giving way to the fear of others and letting those determine your decisions and determine your, your actions, your, your character, rather than the fear of the Lord and His Word? Will you hear and heed His Word today? Heavenly Father, as we think about these things, we pray... 
that you would give us understanding and clarity. And we pray as we did at the very beginning of the service, the the deaf man that came to Jesus, we pray that you would help us, Lord, touch our ears to hear. And then touch our legs so that we can respond in faith and repentance to you. So whatever your desire is and way of response today, we pray that our answer would be yes and uh, that you would grant us strength and power and encouragement to do so. We thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. I'm Pastor Jason Clark, and if you don't have a church home, I want to personally invite you to First Baptist Mount Washington. We're striving to be word-centered, gospel-focused, and community-minded. Learn more about our church and our meeting times from our website, fbcmw.org.